Thanks for tuning in to the Three Strands Podcast. You're about to hear an episode from our Sunday morning worship service. To learn more about Three Strands, visit our website, threestrands.church. If you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, we started a series called Uncertain Confidence, just kind of talking about the world in which we live. It kind of feels like the foundations are shaken. And I want us to look in Scripture and kind of see that God has allowed us to be confident during this time so we don't have to worry. And so week one, we talked about uh, being humble. And then last week, we talked about being authentic. And today, we're going to jump into this third part of the five about being persistent. And I don't know about you, but have you ever thought or wondered uh, why that some people make it in life and other people don't? I mean, you have two athletes with equal ability and they accept a scholarship to play football at a college, and one goes on to have this great career while the other one drops out and doesn't even finish school. Or you have two businessmen with the same amount of money, and they begin their own companies, and when the, one of them ends up making millions while the other one goes bankrupt. Is that just luck? I mean, we've all seen couples with similar uh, like cultural and spiritual backgrounds, and then 30 years later, one couple is happily married with grandchildren enjoying them, while the other one is divorced and will barely speak to each other. Why is that? Well, there's, there are many factors, I think, that determine what happens in our lives, but probably the most important factor is what we're going to talk about today, and that's persistence. Those who really achieve big-time things, they just stay with it longer. They just stay at it longer. They, they don't quit easily. They are not intimidated by obstacles. In fact, they see obstacles as opportunities. And over the course of time, they gain confidence because bouncing back from failure time and time again just makes them less afraid. So in the Bible, Paul wrote about perseverance in the Christian life in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Today we're going to look at verses 8 through 18. And uh, verse 16, the first part, is going to be our theme verse today when it simply says this. That is why we never give up. Persistent. We don't give up. And my guess is that uh, with those of you present today and all those of those who will be listening on the podcast later this week, I'm probably talking to some people who are struggling in an area of life, losing heart and about to give up. And I'm certain that I'm talking to some people who have friends who are discouraged and they need your help. And so let's look at four familiar encouragements uh, that should help us to be confident in uncertain times. These are four things that you've all heard before, but they're straight out of these scriptures that we're going to look at this morning. So four encouragements that will help us to be confident in uncertain times. This is the application, the take-home part here. You ready? The first one is this. If we're going to be confident in uncertain times, you got to get back up when you get knocked down, right? Simple stuff, right? We get back up when we get knocked down. Look at verse 8. Paul said, we we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but we're never abandoned by God. And we get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. You know, Paul got back up from a lot of hard falls when you read through the scriptures, right? Right? 
I mean, you threaten him in Jerusalem, and he goes to an Arabian desert where he spends a decade studying and preparing in obscurity. But then he resurfaces in Antioch, ready to do ministry. You stone him and leave him for dead outside of Lystra. He gets back up, he goes to Derby, and he gains a large number of disciples there. You throw him in prison in Philippi, and what does he do? He converts the jailer. Drag him into the courtroom in Caesarea, and he turns the witness stand into a pulpit. Shipwreck him, strand him on the island of Malta, and he wins the island's chief politician to the Lord. Throw him in a Roman jail, and he uh, comes out, emerges months later with much of the New Testament that we're reading today in his hand. He always got back up when he got knocked down. I read about a high school senior who had applied to three different colleges and was rejected by all three colleges. And finally, when a fourth college rejected him, he emails the admissions office with this reply. He said, Dear Sir, I am in receipt of your rejection, and quite frankly, that's over my limit. So I am rejecting your rejection. I'll report for college on August the 18th. Okay, that's what he told him. Now, I don't know how that turned out, But history is full of examples like the Apostle Paul, like Abraham Lincoln and Thomas Edison, who succeeded. Why? Because they rejected the rejection. They kept going when they got knocked down. They understood that getting knocked down doesn't make you a loser, but staying down does. Think about Teddy Roosevelt. He was rejected when he tried to join the army after the Spanish-American War broke out. They told him that he was too old and he was nearsighted. But he rejected the rejection, went out and organized a civilian militia that he called the Rough Riders. And he went to Cuba and led his followers in the famous charge up San Juan Hill. And the rest of President Teddy Roosevelt's story is history. Charles Goodyear was penniless in 1838 when he discovered the method of vulcanizing rubber. And at that time, creditors were hounding him. He filed bankruptcy, but was still thrown in jail for contempt of court. And there, in jail, undistracted, behind prison bars, he perfected his rubber process and not only paid off his creditors, but he made a fortune for all of those who had continued to support him during his dark time. When Albert Einstein was a graduate student, his doctoral dissertation was rejected by the University of Bern because it was too fanciful and it was irrelevant. Well, fortunately, he rejected that rejection and didn't throw his theory of relativity into the garbage. John Grisham, the best-selling author, had his first novel, A Time to Kill, rejected more than a dozen times before a publisher took a chance on printing just a few thousand copies. He, He rejected the rejection. Michael Jordan was cut from his junior uh, high basketball team. Colonel Sanders was broke at age 65 before he marketed his KFC recipe. Bud Paxson failed at two marriages and went bankrupt twice before founding the Home Shopping Network. Guys, it is crucial that we as Christians have that same spirit of persistence. Look at Proverbs 24, verse 16. 
It, it says the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster, just one, is enough to overthrow the wicked. As it continues to be unpopular to be a Christian in our culture, you see that on the news this, a lot this week, it's becoming increasingly unpopular to believe the way we believe. We're going to get knocked down more and more. We're going to be ridiculed and rejected more and more. And it is important that we have the resiliency to bounce back, to get back up. You know, some of us have stumbled and fallen in the Christian life. We fall into old habits. We have failed in marriage, as parents, or in church leadership. And you may be tempted to throw in the towel, to feel sorry for yourself, and just quit. And I want to encourage you this morning to get back up, to, to move forward, because God has a bright future ahead for you. He promises that in His Word. And be inspired. Be inspired by other Christians who have turned obstacles into opportunities simply because they were persistent. Joni Erickson Tata, remember her? She was paralyzed from the neck down in a swimming accident. But she turned that obstacle into an opportunity to share her faith in Jesus through her writing, through her music, and through her story, her testimony. Dave Ramsey, a lot of us in this church follow his financial principles. He's a nationally known Christian financial guru. He was bankrupt midway through his life. Now he's a millionaire and leads financial peace seminars all over the country. Sherry Rose Shepherd, she entered a beauty pageant, walked off the end of the runway, and fell face down onto a table where the judges were seated. I mean, just smack onto that table where the judges were. She told herself, she said, I've got to get up. I've got to get up. And so she brushed herself off and said to the judges, I just wanted to make sure you all remembered me. And guess what? They did, and she won. Okay, won the pageant. And she later uh, went on to become Miss USA and wrote about that most embarrassing moment in her Christian book, Life is Not a Dress Rehearsal. Frank Peretti was living in a trailer with no inside plumbing, making less than $15,000 a year when he wrote This Present Darkness a Christian novel about the struggle between good and evil. And that novel was rejected by 12 publishing companies, 12. And finally, Good News Publishers reluctantly agreed to sign him, explaining to him that, hey, there's very little market for Christian fiction, you know. And this book maybe could sell possibly, potentially 10,000, 15,000 copies. Well, it sold somewhere between 2.7 and 3.5 million copies to date. Frank Peretti was knocked down, but not destroyed. Francie Swartz, the, the book Chicken Soup for the Soul at Work, tells about a guy named Jerry who was always in a good mood. He always had something positive to say. And, and when you asked Jerry how he was doing, he would say, if I were any better, I'd be twins. Swartz asked him, how in the world can you be so positive all the time? He said this in the book. He said, each morning, I wake up and I tell myself, you have two choices today. You can choose to be in a good mood or you can choose to be in a bad mood. I choose to be in a good mood. It's easy, he said. Life's all about choices. He said, when you cut out all the junk, every situation is simply a choice. 
Several years ago, the restaurant that Jerry owned was robbed, and the thieves panicked, and they shot him. Jerry said, when I was lying there on the floor, I remembered I had two choices. I could choose to live, or I could choose to die, and I chose to live. And he said, the paramedics were great. They kept saying I was going to be fine. But when they wheeled me into that emergency room and I saw the expressions on their faces of those doctors and nurses, I got really scared. Because in their eyes I read, he's a dead man. And I knew I needed to take action. He said there was this big burly nurse shouting questions at, at me. And she said, Jerry, are you allergic to anything? And he said, yes, bullets. And over their laughter, he said, I told them, I am choosing to live. Operate on me as if I'm alive, not dead. And after 18 hours of surgery and weeks of intensive care, Jerry lived. Thanks to the skill of the doctors, but also credit to his amazing attitude and God's grace. And after six months, Swartz saw Jerry and asked him how he was doing. You know what he said? He said, if I were any better, I'd be twins. He was knocked down, but not destroyed. And you know, we, we normally use the word but to introduce a negative thought, don't we? Right? It's a nice day, but it's supposed to rain later. I mean, I enjoyed church this morning, but the sermon was boring. I believe in God, but I don't understand how you could let this happen. I mean, I like Dave and Brad, but they're Chicago Bears fans. I mean, come on, right? The New Testament writers, they would often use the word but to introduce a positive reality, not a negative one, right? They would say things like, the church was persecuted, but those who were scattered preached the word. James was beheaded, but the word of God increased. Peter was put into prison, but the church was praying for him. In this world you will have trouble, Jesus said, but I have overcome the world. Can we look at verses 8 and 9 again in light of that knowledge that we read earlier? We are pressed on every side by troubles, there it is, but we're not crushed, we are perplexed, but... We're not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but we are never abandoned by God. Yeah, we get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Guys, if you want to be confident in uncertain times, you also have to love the Lord more than life itself. We've got to love the Lord more than life itself. Look at it in verse 10. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. You know, Paul considered himself expendable so that others could come to know Jesus. And you read through the, the New Testament, there are several examples of that. I just want to share one of those with you. In Acts chapter 19, it says that Paul's preaching had created such a revival in Ephesus that those who made and sold souvenirs to the goddess Diana felt threatened. 
And so they, they stirred up this riot against the Christians there, and they charged to this outdoor theater. And in Acts, 10, in Acts 19, verse 30, it says that Paul wanted to go in there, but the believers wouldn't let him. You see, this theater in Ephesus was an outdoor amphitheater, cut, cut like a horseshoe in the mountainside. And it seated about 25,000 people. So picture the scene with me in your head. You got the people running mad and, and just yelling in, in this theater. They're running there yelling, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Most of them didn't even know why they were there. They, they're just fired up, a bloodthirsty mob that just wanted to see Christians suffer. You get that? I see in high schools all the time. Big fight breaks out. They don't even know why they're there. Just want to see two people beat up on each other, right? So you got all these people there, this bloodthirsty mob, wanting to see Christians hurt. Paul steps out, sees all of these people gathered in one place, and thought this. What a good place to preach the good news. I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to tell them about Jesus. That's what Paul thought. Look at verse 31. Some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, his buddies, also sent a message to him begging him, don't do it. Don't risk your life by entering the amphitheater. He wanted to go in, though. Paul was willing to risk everything and face the crowd because he loved the Lord more than life itself. In his mind, he was thinking, if I can just convince one person that Jesus is who he said he was, it would be worth it all, whatever the cost. I don't care what happens to me if one person will believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior. I mean, shipwreck, beatings, being put into prison, even death, even death. And that's why he persevered and he never quit. Because he loved the Lord and his cause more than his own life. And so can I just ask us this morning a challenging question? Does Jesus matter more to us than life itself? That's tough, I know. But does he? I don't know if you've ever seen uh, that movie First Night. It's one of my favorites of all time. But um, it retells the legend of Camelot. And there's a scene in there where Lancelot, who's played by Richard Gere, is asked to train a man to be a skilled swordsman. And he says to him this, he says, first of all, you have to study the way your opponent moves until you know what he's going to do before he does it. And the guy says, I can do that. And then he says, next, you must know that moment in every fight when you can either win or lose. He says, I can do that. And then finally he says, you can't care whether you live or die. And the guy put his head down and walked away. But that's what Jesus asks of us in Matthew 16, 24. Look at it. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you got to do what? You got to give up your own way. You got to take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life like so many people are doing, you're going to lose it. But if you would just give it up, would you just give up your life for my sake? If you will do that, he says, then you'll save it. That's encouraging. 
Do we love the Lord so much that we would be willing to give up our lives to advance His cause so that people would be saved? Think of it like this. What if the government, okay, the government reported that there were terrorist threats against churches in southeastern Kentucky? What if that was on the news tomorrow? Would we still show up in here in this building next week for church? Would we still come or would you stay home? Or would we be willing to, to die so that Jesus may live in me and think, you know what? I'm going anyway. I mean, I'm going to church. Just make sure that Constable Daryl Hansard has his gun when I go, okay? Right? He'll protect us all. Now listen, the truth is most of us are not going to be called to be martyrs. But the relevant question is this, is our devotion to Jesus greater than our devotion to anything else in our lives? Think about it. I mean, do we love the Lord more than our spouse? If you're not married, but you're dating someone who's an unbeliever, would you sacrifice that relationship? Do we love the Lord more than our country? You know, if you really felt led by God to go to the Philippines or to the Congo or to Chile or to Cuba, would you go? Do we love the Lord? more than the pleasures of this life? Do we put the church ahead of ball games, golf matches, and sleeping in? I mean, is he an all-consuming passion or is he just a weekend convenience? Is he, listen, our lives or is he just a part of our lives? Is he the, the number one priority or is he the priority? I always like to illustrate it by using like a wheel with the spokes going everywhere. Is he just another spoke on the wheel or is he the hub? Is he the whole thing? Look at Luke 16, 10. It says, if you're faithful in the little things, you're going to be faithful in the large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Guys, listen, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. And if we're going to persevere in the Christian life, our devotion to Jesus has to be ahead of everything else. He's it. He's it. He's what life is all about. 2 Corinthians 4.13, the second part of that verse, reveals another encouragement if we're going to be persistent. And that's this. Believe what you say you believe. Simple, right? Just believe what you say you believe. It says, I believed in God, and so I spoke. And if we really believe something, we speak about it, don't we? It can't be kept silent. Verse 14, we know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. Paul believed that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead would also resurrect him from the grave and reunite him with his fellow believers. Paul believed that his life had an eternal purpose. Verse 15, all of this is for your benefit, he says. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving. And God will receive more and more glory. Guys, that, that belief, the belief that his life was helping other people motivated him to keep on keeping on, to keep on going forward. And you know, that same belief motivates people today. You think about a teacher at the end of the school year and just says, you know what, my patience is shot. 
I'm at the end of my rope. But I've got to keep going because these kids need what only I can give them. A wife may say, I've had it with my husband's neglect and and indifference. I'm going to start living for me. But then she calms down and reflects and prays. And she says, you know what? I'm going to keep my vows for the sake of my children, my family, my story, my testimony. Because faithful is what God would have me to be. A businessman may get discouraged because competitors, they, they lie and they make more money by doing it you know, dishonestly. And he's tempted to give up on, on morals. But then he remembers core principles and beliefs from Scripture that he's been living out for years. And he decides to hold on and keep doing things the right way. Guys, we as Christians need to be people who know what we believe and why. And, you know, people will sometimes criticize our church as you know, a growing church like ours and say things like, you know what, they, they just try to make you feel good at that church. Well, listen, I would rather feel, be a feel-good church than a feel-bad church, wouldn't you? Right? I mean, nobody ever walks away from a worship service saying, man, I feel really grouchy after that. That was just an incredible service. Never. Okay? But if we just come to church because it makes us feel good, if that's all this is, is a place to come feel good, listen, when the pressures of life come, it won't be enough. We will fade away. Because listen, here's the truth. You listen? Christianity begins with facts to be believed. Then there is a faith to be expressed. And then there are feelings to be experienced. But listen, it's got to be in that order. It's got to be in that order. Facts to be believed, then a faith to be expressed, and finally feelings to be experienced. When my siblings and I were told that my dad needed to be moved to hospice care a few years ago, I didn't feel really good. Didn't feel good at all. But God comforted me And he also challenged me and brought to my mind this. Kenny, now it's time for you to believe what you say you believe. You've been preaching this stuff. You've been living it, you say, for years and decades now. It's time to believe what you say you believe. How about you? How about you? Do you believe what you say you believe? Do you believe strongly enough to persevere when your life seems to be falling apart? Because, guys, listen, it's one thing to say we believe when things are going smooth. It's another thing to say we believe when your dad dies at 70 years old. And then it's a completely different thing, a lot tougher, to believe when someone younger than you, like you know, a child or somebody, dies. And some of you have experienced that, someone that's younger than you, right? Think about Job. He lost all of his possessions. Ten of his children were killed. His health went south. His wife ridiculed his faith. And even though Job didn't understand what all was going on at the time, he didn't know what all God was doing, even though it didn't feel good, he reaffirmed his belief in the sovereignty of a good God and said stubbornly in Job 13, 15, the first part, he said, listen, God might kill me, but I have no other hope. He's it. Some translations say, even though he slay me, I will trust in him. 
Do we believe what we say we believe? When a couple miscarries for the second time, a 40-year-old husband learns that his wife's cancer is back. A wife finds out that her husband is cheating on her. When life gets uncertain, guys, we had better know what we believe because we won't feel very good. During those times, and a lot of us have been there, right? When you go to church, sometimes the music seems hollow. Sometimes the sermons seem shallow. And sometimes the people feel distant when you're going through stuff like that. So even then, even then, do we still hold on to our convictions? Do we say, regardless, I still believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I still believe that the Bible is the Word of God. I still believe that God is going to reward those who follow Jesus into eternity. I still believe that He is holy, He's still fair, and He is a good, just God. Can we say with Job, God might kill me, but listen, I have no other hope. He's it. Even though he slay me, I will still trust in him. Can we say that? Finally, the fourth thing to be persistent is this. We've got to keep our eye on the goal. We have to keep our eye on the goal. Look at it in verse 16. Paul said, that's why we never give up. Though our bodies, they're dying, but our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles, what you and I are going through right now, he says, they're small and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. No, rather we fix our gaze on things that can't be seen. For the things we see now, guys, listen, it's soon going to be gone. But the things we can't see, that's what's going to last forever. The reason that Paul could persevere is because he stayed laser focused on his eternal goal. Now, for granted, uh, you know, Paul had this unique privilege of seeing what heaven was really like. If you look in 2 Corinthians 12, 2, Paul says that he had this vision where he was caught up into the third heaven, it says. And he says, I saw things that no human is allowed to tell. But he did give us this. He said, but I will say this, to depart and go be with the Lord is better by far. So, listen, let's fix our eyes on the eternal spiritual goal. Because everything we see and everything we touch is temporary. It's all going to pass away, right? Including our own bodies. Only the things we can't see, that scripture told us, are going to last. So to be persistent, we must fix our eyes on our eternal goal. You ever watch professional or college basketball and somebody's trying to shoot a free throw and it'll be like a critical point in the game and you look at the fans behind the basket, they're trying to distract the shooter, right? They're doing all kinds of stuff. They're waving their arms and holding up signs with personal messages about that player's mama or something, you know, and they're throwing their shirts, all kinds of stuff. Whatever they can do to distract the shooter. The only way that player is going to make that free throw is if they block all that out and they just focus on the goal. Well, our goal is to go to heaven when our bodies die someday and to take as many people with us as we can. That's the goal. 
but you got an adversary, and he will do everything possible to distract our attention, won't he? He'll taunt us. He'll try to get us to give up. A lot of times as we get older because of our own physical problems. Paul says this, outwardly, yes, we are wasting away. I mean, that's just the truth, right? Did any of you watch the show Stranger Things? Carson's uh, making me watch it with him. It's, it's, it's not a bad show. I'm just in the first season. But I was thinking about my body. Strange things begin to happen as your body ages, right? Stranger things. That's just the truth as you get older. You get wrinkles and pains and you lose flexibility. Hair begins growing out of your ears and nose. Guys, it's coming. It's awful. Uh, and it's connected to every nerve in your body, John. Okay? You pull a nose hair, you're going to fill it in your pinky toe. It's awful. Your eyesight begins to diminish. The plumbing doesn't work as well as it used to. The, the memory fades, you know. There are things that happen to our bodies that we just can't control. And that can be discouraging as you get older. And we try to camouflage it, don't we? we you know, with transplants and makeup and looser fitting clothing and, and even surgery. But it's happening. And it's distracting. I get it. And it's discouraging at times. And it can cause us to lose confidence. But Paul says this. Keep your eye on the goal. One day, you're going to have a new body. There will be no more death. There's going to be no more aging, no more aches and no more pains, no more hair loss. Outwardly, he says, yes, we're wasting away, but inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. And guys, Satan's also going to try to divert your attention with personal problems. He just will. There's going to be family relationships, stress at work, you know, just demands, financial pressures, and it, and you may say, I can't take it anymore, I'm, I'm just done. But I love the way the message paraphrases verse 16 when it says this. These hard times that you're going through right now are small potatoes compared to the coming good times. The lavish celebration that's prepared for us. We'll look back years from now and the stuff that seems so huge and so big right now be like small potatoes. Paul says these tough times that are so big, years from now, won't even remember it. So remain focused on the ultimate goal and fix our eyes on what is unseen. And guys, that will keep everything in perspective. And the truth is that sometimes things aren't going to turn out the way we'd hope. That's just the facts, right? But God will give you strength and God will give us faith that shouldn't waver. And we need to remember, we need to remember that this world's not our home. It's just not. Jesus will bring strength for today and hope for tomorrow, the old hymn says, but we won't be exempt from this life's hurts. But don't give up. Be persistent. Don't give up. And so we get, knocked down, or we get back up and we get knocked down. We persevere because we believe that Jesus is who he said he was. And serving him matters more to us than life itself. And we're confident. We're confident that what we're going through now is just small potatoes compared with the celebration that's waiting for us. And so as we close, if you would like to give your life to Jesus, if you want strength for today and you want hope for tomorrow, I pray in the next few minutes you would do so. 
So we're going to just, uh, we only do this once a quarter, but we're going to spend the next five minutes or so just taking communion together. Communion is just a time for those of us who follow Jesus to remember what he did for us on that cross as he gave up his life for our sins. And so listen, if you're not a believer here this morning, you're just kind of checking this whole church thing out, we are glad you're here. But just kind of let the tray slide on by. You don't have to feel pressured to participate. Just let the tray pass. Just sit there and think and reflect about some things you've heard today and communicate with God. Just talk to Him and listen to Him. Some things that you're thinking and maybe feeling. But for those of you who are Christians, at any time during the song, the band's going to play a song, just feel free at any time just to take the bread and take that juice and just tell God thanks. Thank you for rescuing me, however you'd like to tell them that. Thanks again for listening in on the Three Strands podcast. If you've never visited us in person, we'd love to meet you face to face. We gather every Sunday, 11 a.m. at the McCreary County Park building. We hope to see you soon.